Hello and welcome to the We Need to Talk About Whiteness podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Miriam Francois, and for those joining us for the very first time, welcome. This is a space where we explore the meaning of whiteness as the term is used in conversations around race and racism and as it pertains to different areas of our lives. Why whiteness? Well, very simply, because as someone racialized as white myself, I want to explore the meaning and impact of white racial identity in our current disturbing, unsettling and frankly dystopian times. I'm lucky enough to be joined by some incredible contributors who can help us shine a light on what the term means to them and whether it's a useful addition to the anti-racism arsenal. In this episode, I have the immense pleasure of being joined by a multi-award winning British film director who's here to talk to us about whiteness in the film industry. She was the first black woman to write and produce a TV drama here in the UK. She's a former child actress whom you might know from the classic British school drama Grange Hill and other British staples, including Desmond's and Birds of a Feather. These days, you'll know her as BAFTA award-winning writer, director, Amma Asante. Amma, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Miriam. It's a pleasure. Great pleasure. Thank you. So, um, among my favourite facts about you are that Oprah Winfrey threw you a garden party at her house and that none other than Prince hosted the premiere after party for your film, Belle. Fake news or true story? All true. Both true. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a very lucky woman. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> uh, we need the inside intel on uh, Oprah's garden, huh? <laughs> Well, it's beautiful. I mean, obviously, I, I, I think m- many people will have seen her um, shoot stuff, interviews and things out there before. And it's just as beautiful as, as it looks on TV. Yeah, it was a, a really wonderful experience, but mostly an honour because it was, you know, honouring um, and acknowledging and recognising my work. So that mm. was a huge, huge deal. Yeah, absolutely. I can I can imagine. Um, well, I thought we'd kick off by looking at some of the statistics around the film industry in particular. So recent research from the LSE suggests that BAME participation in the industry has remained considerably lower than other underrepresented groups, particularly in behind the camera roles. Mm. Um, the report, I don't know if you've come across it from the LSE, found that of the 235 films that were made between 2016 and 2019, that adhered to the BFI diversity standards, 50% cited race or ethnicity as a factor in their content compared with 63% for gender. The gap was even more marked with employment figures. 40% of projects cited race, ethnicity as a factor compared with 71% for gender. And BAME people were far less likely to be selected as main characters in films. And BAME experiences were far less likely to feature as part of a film's main theme or storyline. Are any of those stats a shocker to you? No, and I was just about to say I haven't actually seen that particular report, um, but not uh, not a bit of it surprises me, only that maybe some of the figures are actually a little bit better than I thought, um, mm-hmm. but none of it surprises me whatsoever. How would you say that whiteness has shown up in your life and career, in particular in the film industry? Um, well, you know, you know the subject matter you know of your podcast if you like is 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 you know what is whiteness what does it mean to each one of us and I suppose in many ways how it's shown up in my life overlaps with that definition of it for me um Mm. and I think that that's um so forgive me people if I repeat myself a bit later on but I think it's about centering um a default experience um but centering that default experience around one particular what has become race um which is white and so um the idea that everything else outside of that or not inside of that is wrong um I do remember um as a really kind of very very simple and very basic example um that tv series that you you referenced in your intro Mm. um that I I I wrote and co-created and and also produced Um, brothers and sisters and I remember the first episode of the first series um, opening with a 
birthday party for an 18 year old girl it had I think 27 black characters or so in it and it was for the BBC and it start, opened with an 18 year old's birthday party and at that birthday party um, her pastor her parent or the pastor for her family for the, her local church had dropped in with a lot of the older people um, in her family and then sort of as the party kicks off they sort of leave and you know the party gets more populated with young people and that was an experience that I was used to within the context of my family and my environment you know once you hit those crucial ages of say 18 or 21 if you were allowed to have a party and lucky enough to have one Mm. then you know your older aunts and uncles and you know that the elders if you like of the community might pop in to say hello and sort of celebrate you a little bit and then they would go and then you know your your friends and cousins and everybody else would be there and you'd, you'd, you'd have your party and it was so normal to me in one of the broadsheets it was one of the first reviews I ever received being absolutely you know ridiculing this um this ex- this experience um and particularly it being the opener for 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 the series because for that particular white man who wrote that um review he it, it just it was it was wrong and it was abnormal and it was um bad writing because it existed outside of his default experience as a white Mm. male and so the idea that and you know that's something that's there you know to a certain extent and and that's not to say that it doesn't live alongside um sometimes praise and sometimes celebration and sometimes you know proper thorough um you know fair analysis it doesn't mean just because you write a black experience it's necessarily you know you 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 as the writer have written it well but I would say sort of within my career I've definitely noticed um an element of criticism that also comes because those who are doing the criticizing um exist outside of a black experience because there isn't a monolithic one but a black experience that may have you know overlaps with with many people within the various black communities that they recognize but those who are predominantly the critics whether they be male or female often um when they're outside of of of, of that experience they simply um not only not r- recognize it but therefore deem it as bad work bad a, a bad um characterization or a bad scenario and 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 that for me is mainly in my work I would say how it's shown up I mean you know as a woman of color we can talk about a thousand other ways in which it's shown up I mean I see it I see it in um the, the way I have to be in my life when I present myself in um situations where I go to get health care for instance you know if I go looking as sick as as uh, as I feel I often get you know less reaction response and care than if I go in a way that makes whiteness feel comfortable um and and that is to be not not a a, a black woman who who comes not in order if that makes sense there are a thousand ways I think that um um that you know scenarios and and circumstances and contexts that we can go through but but certainly in work it, it it really shows that self uh, that, that itself very much in that centering of the default um, and the idea that it's it's very hard for anybody else's experience to be deemed as default if it doesn't um, centre itself around whiteness or, or or if its proximity isn't to whiteness. Yeah, it's really interesting. I wrote in The Guardian uh, last year about the, I wrote this line where I said, uh, between white is normal and white is right is a very mm. fine line um and it sounds it sounds like that's that's something that you experienced in in terms of how uh like you say the the centering of a certain normative experience then makes that uh appear right and anything that deviates from it uh questionable uh, to say the very least um when when was that series and, and how much has changed and in what way would you say since that uh, first review by that particular gentleman oh well um I believe that that was in 1996 and um I, I do think it's changed um to a, a certain extent I mean one of the things that I always say is that um you know one of the reasons why I know the industry can can be better and uh, and more equal is um because I see those 
those people who are the sort of um, beacons of what it can be, if you like, every day, because I work with them. You know, I work with people who are, um, you know, both people of colour and, and both people who are not black or, or of any other racial group that is not white, um, who, who, you know, who are fighting the good fight, if you like, to kind of get their stories told. But I also work with white people who are... Um, who, who for them my my the color of my skin is of consequence and no consequence all at the same time and they allow that to be relevant when I want it to be relevant and you know they allow me to lead on that um and who who allow me to bring um you know the power of my storytelling um to the fore by supporting me in that process either through finance or through you know through their talent as producers or um if it's something somebody whose work I'm I'm directing because I haven't written it myself you know through other writers um through the actors who you know speak my lines that I've written and who who uh, um you know um stick to the blocking that I've given them you know whatever it is I see those people so I know that they exist and, and they have certainly arrived in greater numbers as you know I've navigated my way through the industry so I know that that, that they do exist um the reality is though you know we do still have some ways to go and um the fact that there are those of us who exist that are exceptions that prove the rule um mean that we we have to get to a point where we're we're no longer exceptions and um you know the only exception we should be is because we're brilliant and we're great um which is uh, you know sort of what what is right and Mm. also what is good business as well what 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 makes good business um we shouldn't be an exception uh, because um, there are so few of us that we stand out. We should be an exception because I have, um, I am proper competition to your Joe average white male director out there, and I have competition too. And 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 that's what makes us better. You know, mm. um, ultimately, when you have a system that's filtered in such a way that those people at the top are really there because they've never really experienced any real competition. If you're only really operating within, you know, um, one grouping, one playing field, there are only certain people allowed on your playing field. Um, if you're a footballer, for instance, and you're only mm. play, uh, playing with a certain um, grouping of footballers because they're the only people who are allowed onto the playing field, you don't know if you're the best footballer you haven't really been given any competition you know Mm. if you're constantly given you know awards or you're constantly winning matches um because you're the best in the very small grouping that's allowed to to play Mm. that doesn't tell you you're the best that just tells you that you're being protected by gatekeepers right are allowing you um to constantly win and be called genius and be called brilliant and be told that you're all these things that ultimately we don't know if you've arrived at simply because you've you're the only one who's had access Mm -hmm. or because you really are great and brilliant um on that note I've got a question about I mean obviously the film industry is very particular in that you're producing content that has to be consumed by an audience and 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 obviously in the UK that's an audience that's predominantly white um does that affect in any way because I know some critics would say well the way that whiteness operates is it allows some stories about race to be told but they have to be the ones that are palatable to the audience um what is your view on that I mean they they might point to things like you know the green book um getting you know winning the oscar or um certain films particularly around slavery being the ones that are always the ones that get recognition or um funding um is does does the white gaze have an impact on the stories you can tell around race but i think that the white gaze that exists that, uh, um that allows or disallows the stories that one can tell um impacts that that the um you know is not necessarily coming from an audience it, it is really coming from those those gatekeepers that are still left behind um and th- and their choice and once again what they see as um what they see as right and correct and a story that resonates, a story that resonates for who. Um, and so so you're, 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 you are in a situation, of course, where um, 
where the gaze of the people who are choosing which stories get financed, the gaze of the people um, who are choosing what stories to develop and what stories, you know, first get, you know, we know that a very, very significant chunk of um, movies and TV shows that are developed actually never make it to to being made. So who's making the choices um, and what is their thought process in deciding what um, first gets into development and then goes on to get made? And then once those projects are made, who are the people? What's the thought process of the people who decide whether it's good or not? And, uh, you know, and and when you're reading that next review about, you know, whether a movie is good or not, what's the thought process of the person? You know, my my mum always used to say, you know, consider your, your you know, your, your your source always. And so so uh, without a doubt, you know, that, you know, whiteness right now is predominantly is the industry and predominantly you know guides and 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 you know works the machinery of the industry and so within that context yes of course um you can you know what I would say is that I have a pool of stories that I'm continually working on and, and stories that I continually want to tell are there definitely stories that are more palatable within that those stories I'm developing and that I want to tell um, to the white gatekeeping gaze? That's what I would call it. Probably a mm. 100%, yes. Um, mm. uh, would I go and ever develop a story that completely didn't resonate with me or completely, uh, you know, had nothing to do with my existence or my, my life? It doesn't even have to do with my existence or my life, but it doesn't, you know, resonate with me in any way, shape or form. And sometimes things resonate with you in a very non-obvious way. So my first mm. one was about a white girl. She resonated in her existence and the story and the politics of the story. Um and the social commentary of the story resonated with me deeply, but on the surface, you know, she was nothing like me. Mm. So, so would I ever pick something that didn't resonate with me, with my heart and my soul, and 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 the magic of the stories that I want to tell? No. But within the context of the stories that I do develop, are there those that are going to be more palatable? Uh, f- f- for sure, I think that whiteness is always looking for proximity to it. Mm-hmm. um and so and so knowingly or unknowingly it's always going to be um far finding the stories that, that it thinks is palatable and you know there's nothing worse really when you have um you know somebody um and I'm lucky you know I have this far 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 less than I have more of it but there's nothing worse than when you have seen and I certainly saw this coming up through the in, uh, through the industry and um, those people who felt that they could dictate what black people wanted to see mm. based on their own whiteness it, that was always very odd to me yeah I mean you've chosen to focus on race a lot in your films um was that is there a, what's the motivation but behind that is that is that what, what's your reasoning behind that? I mean, I'm reading it with somebody saying, you know, a lot of the focus is on biracial relationships. And I got stuck, I got stuck for a minute on the terminology. I don't know how mm-hmm. you feel about some of the terminology also, you know, about um, mixed race, biracial, um, in the context, obviously, where we're trying to unpick notions of race. Uh, but but we'll park that for a second, unless you want to comment on, on the terminology. And just, I'm really curious to, to understand. I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe technically the term biracial does make sense I, d- I don't know I would say they were they were interracial maybe um but uh you, my story is very very boring and to fit very um easily or, or sort of comfortably into people's ideas when they when they choose to decide who you are or why you've made your decisions or um or how you you navigate a career where you exist in a space where there are very very few like you um you know I've been telling film making stories within the context of film as someone who's both black and female, but also n- not American. Um, so my stories often have to do with the with the the intersection of where Africa and Europe meet. Why? Because um, I was interested in the histories of other people like me. You know, um, I uh, the little 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 black history that I did um, was able to come across growing up was generally African American history and only a very specific very specific section, not the wider uh, sort of v- variety of of 
of, 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 of history that exists for African-Americans. And, and by no way do I know a lot of it. That was just what I had a little bit of access to. And I wanted to know more about the histories of those people who uh, where Africa and, and Europe intersected in them because because, you know, that was that was my part of my own identity journey if you like or it still Mm. is and um for me that was that that thought process was only concentrated around one film and that film was to be my second film which was Where Hands Touch which was the film about um uh, Afro-German children growing up um very sadly in Nazi Germany and uh, that that film was was I hoped would come after I made my first film and very surprisingly to me I won a BAFTA I thought I was making that first film in a bubble Mm. and uh where that was Belle uh, no that was actually a, a way of life a way of life uh, okay. yeah and um which was the story of a 17 year old you know white teenage mother who who uh, was was racist and wanting to experience and and explore the experience of, of of how that comes to be how we can live you know it was a sort of a an exploration of where the culpability of an individual and society and the culpability of society meets and how mm. how you how you get into a situation where very young you know seemingly very young adults um can exist in these environments where they are so uh, openly racist uh, in terms of feeling and ex- and I really really wanted to explore that and the 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 partner to that um, for me, once I finished making that film and once I did win the BAFTA and thought, oh, maybe I do have a career here, was to explore the next stage of that uh, and in a way go back. And as I started exploring, um, you know, that that history, if you like, of, of what it was to, to have the intersection of being both African and um, a European upbringing inside yeah. you, I came across these Afro-German children. And there within the context of this Afro-German children was very much the heart of what I was trying to explore, which is how do you condition, how does society um, create a situation where very, very young people or very, very young adults, I should say, um, both express and um, feel racism. And um, what uh, what I got, of course, was Nazi Germany. Mm. And, um, and so I sort of got everything that I was looking at in, in, in sort of one subject matter, if that made sense, to be black and young growing up in Nazi Germany. And as I started to explore all of my... Um, assumptions and presumptions that I would I made about the Afro-German experience because I thought that because we shared the Afro we we would respond and react exactly in the same way and had no concept at that time of how time and place influences us um I I, I my story began to evolve and began to change as I sat down with Afro-Germans from the, who were survivors of the period and began to tell my story as so what, uh, what, what would you say was the most surprising difference then between that? Because you you said it was kind of challenging your preconceptions. What what exactly yeah. was it challenging? Well, well, can I come to that? I'll come to yeah, that of in course, one second. Yeah. And I just want to say that. Um. So what? So what then happened was you know I, I I sort of started to pen my script, and as I as I began to send it to the various film financiers that existed at that time, I was just told it was too big for me, mm. and um. That you know, a movie set in this period was just too big, and you know, it was you know, I, I I knew at that point as I was stepping into it that I was stepping into this sort of hallowed preserve of, of of white white male directors, um, mm. uh, you know, again a preserve that you know something that has been protected for for their gaze to tell stories through since filmmaking began. But I didn't actually think that I, I I sort of thought that we were much further along in the process than we were in evolution. Mm. And that I would just be allowed to tell my story because why it had an Afro-German centre. And when I realised, no, you will be prevented from doing this. My strategy and my decision was to not stop filmmaking, not to see it as a full stop, not to then um sort of um uh succumb to somebody else's will and wish but was to go away and stay within the film industry and, and tell stories that sat around um the skill base that I could then use to prove why I 
why there should be no reason or excuse to tell me that I couldn't make wear hands touch so mm. you know very boringly I'm, I'm sure for everybody that would like to associate other wants and wishes and and motivations for me that you know but there would be no bell if I hadn't wanted to make um, wear hands touch because I simply wouldn't have made bell to prove what I could do and there would be no way United Kingdom because mm. that as big and as epic as it was you know shooting in two countries two continents you know on the scale was really the straw that broke the camel's back in order to be able to say to finances that you can't tell me that a movie is too this movie here where hands touch is too big for me when I've done Belle um and I've done um, a United Kingdom, and I've expressed yeah. not just the, not just the the, the 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 mechanics of the scale of filmmaking in terms of the obvious mechanics through my skill base, but I've also expressed the the epic emotional um, ability um, that I have to express, you know, big epic emotions of my characters on screen who are going through identity issues, and both Belle and a United Kingdom, you know, allowed me to do that. So the fact that they then have all these premises um, that other people find unpalatable, mm. I learned a long time ago, you're never going to be able to um, please all of the people all of the time. But I took the trajectory to make the, to tell the story I wanted to tell in my way as, uh, you know, a, a black woman navigating the industry. And, you know, one of the sayings that I love the most is, you know, if if you don't see what you like on screen, if you don't see what you like out there, then be the change you want to see. Mm, I'm absolutely. open. I, I hope that I've um, stretched enough boundaries that those people who don't like what I do um, will have the tiny bit more space perhaps to go and do what they think I don't do so well, a bit better than I do. Um, in so terms of just, just so just for ahead. those who are listening who don't know um, you know the story so Belle for those who haven't yet watched it is the story of uh, a so-called illegitimate daughter of a navy admiral who uh, is brought up by her aristocratic uncle uh, and aunt and and then grows up to uh, abolish slavery uh, in England and and, and and is based on a true story I believe yeah it's based on a true story but I wouldn't say she grows up at all she's she comes from an arist uh, aristocratic family herself so her father is as you say an admiral um and her her uncle is the lord chief justice of england that's the highest judge in in england at the time it's the 18th century and um and she is truthfully adopted by her uncle when her father has to go away on the various expeditions that he goes away on and she's raised as, as an aristocrat and um her existence was sort of um was uh um, put into evidence, if you like, by uh, an 18th century painting that still exists of her today with her, her white cousin, Elizabeth. I've um, seen it, yes. Yeah, and yeah. His, her uncle's judgments um, around race at the time and mm. around the ideas and the existence of whether slavery did or did not exist in the UK at that time. His decisions had a, a fundamental impact on America and, and consequently eventually had an impact on the beginnings of the um, of slavery being abolished but slavery being abolished is you know such a long process of um, course multiple that, um, actors yes I was multiple multiple <laughs> short, actors shortcut yeah. short there definitely yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. But, she, but she actually yeah she it was a true story and she existed in that family and and the one thing I was never going to do was not tell that story um because she was biracial and not fully black I mean she was British yeah. her mother was African um she might not have been black but her mother was and um I was not gonna sit there and twiddle my thumbs and say mm, now perhaps I shouldn't tell that story um because she's biracial and seem you know uh, similarly when David or Yellowo came to me with um wanting to to, to make the story of Soretze Karma who was you know the book the the, a king that became the president a democratically elected um president of of his own country that uh you know that belonged to the british empire prior and um, yeah. you know this is the united kingdom this is yeah. a united kingdom yeah, yeah yeah obviously i thought i thought about the themes and the ideas that were in there but i thought well if anybody's going to navigate the story 
of a black man who takes a white woman to 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 Africa and then goes on to become president and she goes on to be his first lady. If anybody's going to navigate those sensibilities mm. that need to need to be navigated, then I don't see why that shouldn't be me. And I I uh, absolutely know that my involvement in that film meant that, you know, the experience of anybody watching that film was a different one than it would have been without my involvement. And so what were those sensibilities? I think, for instance, it was really important for me um, as a as a woman who's who has both parents that come from Africa directly from Africa, um, and who spent you know much of her childhood or a lot of her childhood going and visiting her grand each of her grandmothers in each of the various respective villages that they came from um I, I didn't want to see a world in which the the women of the the village um that Soretze came from didn't speak and 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 didn't voice their opinions and and you know it's very much Soretze's story and 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 his story of the struggle and the challenge that he has in um um, holding on to the leadership of his his country once he makes his choice, but and so, you know, it, it's it, it, there's only so much of the film that you can you can offer over, um, but 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 there was no way I could make a film where those women did not speak and where those women African women did not speak their opinion and also where the you know any any re- relevance to the acceptance of that white woman um, in 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 Soretze's village, if you like, and in Soretze's country, came was channeled through the power that those African women had. It was very, very important for me that I gave them the power to accept her or reject her. And, you know, anybody who goes back and watches that film will see that. And then thirdly, you know, for me, when I read the book and I looked through the story um, as the script as it was, it was really important for me that I pull out absolutely everything that I could around ideas of how one African country found its way to independence because my father was a Pan-Africanist. He believed in, in the United States of Africa and he stood in um, Independence Square, Independence Square in, in Ghana, you know, on the day that Ghana went from being the Gold Coast and gained its independence and became Ghana. He listened mm-hmm. to Kwame Nkrumah's speech and he as a young man waved the flag. And so as a little girl growing up, you know, I, I learned Kwame Nkrumah speeches. You know, I could I could quote Kwame Nkrumah because that was the kind of um, upbringing I, I I received. And mm. so, um, for me, when I saw that story, there was no way that this could just purely be a story about you know the love between this man and this woman. But it was had to be about this man's love for his country, and um, the the growing love that. Uh, she gained for the she chose to gain for the country you know after he died in real life um his wife remained in the country and she died there you know not long before we went over to make the film and 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 you know there was a a connection between her and that country that was undeniable but at the same time this was a story about his love for his country and his choice between his love for his country and his love for a woman and and his love that led that country to its independence. And so, Mm. again, you know, you ask yourself the question, well, if I don't make this film, somebody else will, you know, Mm. am I the best person to make it? In my opinion, I was. Mm. And what kind of story did I want to tell? I wanted to tell a story where, where, you know, black African women spoke, Botswana, you know, women of Botswana spoke. I wanted to tell a story where, um, where we, we explore, you know, the journey of this man and the decisions he has to make between being king or leader, being served or being in service and a story about one African country's independence. And that's the way I see it. Now, Mm -hmm. anybody can look at the glass half full or half empty if they want to, um, and find everything that's, not right about that but for me um it was a joy to make and it was a joy to be able to you know put my stamp on it and and navigate it in the in the way that um I knew it could be a powerful story and and of course at the heart of that story like you say there's this love story um you know a sort of love uh, vanquishes all story which in in a way um this sort of love affair across uh, you know across uh, uh, star-crossed lovers I suppose is 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 the theme uh comes back in in where hands touch yes, right yeah yeah, yeah. and mm. and uh, for those who don't who aren't yet familiar and you should go and watch the film but it, it's a story of a, of a young a woman who's half Senegalese and, and half German who falls in love with um an ardent member of the Hitler youth 
Um, now, I know that there were some concerns around that um, thematic. I mean, what did you have any concerns about depicting a relationship or a, specifically a romantic relationship between this young mixed race woman and, and effectively a white supremacist? Yeah, I mean, let's uh, go back to your, your your question that I kind of um, kind of um, went round earlier, which is um, first and foremost, you asked me what my what my uh, the, my assumptions were and what sort of assumptions were overthrown, if yes. you like, in many ways. Well, so um, I talked about time and place earlier, and um, I talked about the idea of sort of sh- sharing the the uh, you know the, the the title, if you like, of Afro in. In, as I define myself um, with an Afro-German and therefore thinking that, you know, my thoughts and feelings and responses and reactions would be the same as not just an Afro-German, but an Afro-German that was being raised in, in an environment that is, you know, obviously different to the one I grew up in. And um, so my but my assumptions were that they they would be the same. And what, of course, once I started to do the interview, I what I really began to understand uh more more in the head than in the heart um mm. or maybe it's vice versa I'm not sure but mm-hmm. more more than ever was um was um the power of and the influence obviously of rhetoric and conditioning and um and you know again what I was wanting to look at was the culpability where culpability um, of the individual meets the culpability of a nation of a society and I'm really interested in the ideas of the collective versus the individual and what I started to realize first and foremost was the experience of these um, many Afro-Germans and certainly n- not all but well yeah most Afro-Germans in the context that was outside of um, um, a collective community who was all, who were also that looked like them who were also being persecuted and the idea of persecution in isolation versus persecution in um in in w- w- with a community that's also being persecuted and what that means when you're a child or um, a young adult growing up where perhaps you don't have a mother that looks like you you don't have teachers that look like you. You don't have anybody who's experiencing the kind of persecution you're experiencing yeah. um, that can help you navigate the landscape at that time. So you're sort of on your own, but you're also in an environment where, you know, you have a parent who doesn't look like you and your safety is based on the way that they look and your ba- your safety is based on the things that they say. So when everything is gone, because all Jewish people at a certain point in the war were either in hiding and mostly in camps and dead. Um, so anybody around you that's being persecuted, if they don't look like you, is gone. And then everybody that looks, you know, that is around you is from the the, the, the world, the community of the persecutor. Yeah. What does what does survival look like? Um, what does integration look like when it's not something you do because I'm decided I'm going to retire to Spain and you know go and live in a nice community in Spain and integrate into that society? But when it's forced upon you as a means of survival, what that looks like as an act of, of violence? Mm. Um, and so um, I didn't know. I didn't. I, I have concerns in that way because obviously what when I was listening to experiences and when I was doing all of my reading what I was understanding was the sheer horror and power um of 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 that period um the the sort of understand well understanding as best I could as someone who didn't experience it um what a world where any contra um any any contradictory um ideology um, had been eradicated so no books no mm. as I say no teachers no no form of guidance that could offer you a contradictory view and where when a contradictory view came to you it came to you within the context of a means of survival uh there you know if I speak this will I survive and if I don't speak this will I survive you know there's the survival of the spirit isn't there and then there's the survival of the body and what Lena decides and uh to my mind um looks as well is that the, the the survival of the spirit is one that can't that can't cope 
um, choosing to go down an avenue where one set of lives have value and another set of lives don't Mm -hmm. and where they're living in a world where you know they have a leader that says the entire world is against them but actually as you know young people they're discovering actually none of that is true it's it's their country that's that's against the world essentially and so the idea of telling a story about what Germany might have looked like from the inside both from a white point of view possibly um and from a black point of view it it didn't worry me no um and did I in exploring what um culpability looks like and experiencing and and in in navigating or trying to explore um how one takes responsibility for who they are and what and and what they are um and creating a story uh, that to me would be less truthful if I tried to tell a story where a young girl was growing up um in Nazi Germany in a world where she wasn't automatically thrown into a into a a camp but wasn't automatically safe either was sort of walking this tightrope that you could not walk if you were Jewish and and could be recognizably Jewish but somehow was walking this tightrope where you didn't know you know where you stood from from one day to another she was not Jewish and she was also not what Hitler called Aryan you know sort of exploring exploring that uh, and uh, pretending that those children did not want what children growing up wanted which was come you know to to belong and to not be an outsider um to explore all of that and then do and and then pretend that these people did not end up marrying Mm. if you like um white people that then existed (laughs) existed as um, as white people did in that era, in in that time, would have been disingenuous. And because would have been you'd odd. obviously interviewed some of these people. This is based on real stories that you'd garnered through your research. Um, I, I didn't. Just... I did. I didn't come across any. Um, I myself didn't interview any survivor of that period who had not gone on um, to marry or be in a relationship with a um white german person and um because of the way nazi germany existed in that time and because all children by law had to be part of the hitler youth it sort of was like huh was there an internalization of white supremacy by those young people who were afro-germans as well then would you absolutely i mean and there are books out there that speak about it this is what's Mm. so odd to me it wasn't as if it wasn't as if my story was sort of um weird and strange um as both people black and white some some i have to say can i just say that it's the it's the movie that i get the most um letters written to me about on you know mm. dms written to me about on social media and it's but it's the one that where they most privately write to me to, to tell me how they feel about it and it's you know inevitably usually 99 positive um but um yeah but i didn't um I, I didn't meet anyone who where 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 that experience was one where they uh were, were then married or in a relationship or went on to have children with black people um mm. and that again I can't make decisions about why people make the choices they make but I, I can only say that existing in situations of isolation um meant that and 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 the idea that you know uh, there were black children that existed that wanted to be and tried to be members of the Hitler youth in themselves is a very famous picture that you can google right now and you will find an image of a little you know afro-german boy wearing a a Hitler youth uniform with a shot sticker on it and you know these 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 images uh, and he and he went on to write a book as an adult he actually became the um, the editor of Ebony magazine um, yeah. in, the U- in the US um, but his upbringing was that in Germany and, yeah. and so so the idea that those that that we want a world where there's diversity and people have voices and their stories and the difficulties and the struggles and the challenges as well as the joys of course and the happiness of their stories can be told but not if they don't fit ours and not if they don't respond 
to the world in 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 their time and their place as we would in our time and our place mm. and if they and if they don't if they don't respond in a way that we would because we may suffer persecution but within the context of a community but we want them to respond in the same way um as we would in a community when they're doing it outside of a community that's persecuted and looks like them is sort of massively judgmental and sort of for me has asked lots of questions about um you know what what we should be doing to to support each other's experiences as a diaspora because because what we where we don't where we don't have empathy and we don't have um, where we don't have peace for someone who who is living in an, an isolated environment that's different to us ours I think is 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 tough. So, do, but do you think that was the main criticism, um, or do you feel that maybe? The, obviously the, the power of the filmmaker, particularly the, the, film, the, the writer, the director, is to tell uh, a particular story, right? And you can choose any number of stories. And I suppose the question might be, and I think this applies for many minority groups, you know, mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. the depictions that we make of ourselves, you know, I'm thinking of, as a, as a Muslim, I think about this a lot, you know, what stories about our community do we want to tell um, and which are our the stories that maybe we don't want to put in full uh, mm. front mm-hmm. of the, the white gaze at this particular point in history. And so I was just wondering, do, does the whiteness of the industry mean that there are some black stories, which although true, shouldn't be told if they can potentially be weaponized against the struggle for equality? Or do you reject that view? Um, I think we do. I think you're you're correct, and I think that um, I, I think the question then becomes, what are those stories? Because I, you know, I think um, when you know one of the things that's weaponized, used, and weaponized against. Let, let me just let me just take uh, the example of black women, for instance. One of one of the things I think that's often weaponized, used, and weaponized against us is the idea that um, we we are. Uh, we are strong we are very very strong and we can take anything mm-hmm. um that we're not allowed to fail um we're constantly being failed um but we're not allowed to fail yeah. and um I, I think that the the greatest thing you can do to any community any set of people is dehumanize them by not allowing them to 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 show a, a plethora of human conditions and as a filmmaker i think my responsibility is to humanize um, you know, particularly the people that I have at the center of my stories who uh, up until this point, you know, have been people of, of color as, as well as people who aren't, but mainly p- people of color. And to be able to do what um, has been the, the again, the preserve of, of, of white male characters since cinema began, which is they can be good, they can be bad, they can succeed, they can fail, they're the antagonist, they're the protagonist, they're everything. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're you know, in a good piece of work, they're very, very three-dimensional. And even in bad pieces of work, when you put all of those, you know, many films together, you see a plethora of the kind of person you can be as a white man, you know, notwithstanding, you know, the idea of the white saviour. And so uh, for me, the idea that therefore we should only, uh, we should not fight for a platform and a right for, um, for, for black characters to be able to be everything, because of course it doesn't work when they're only one thing. Of course yeah. it doesn't work when we're only... Uh, you know, certainly in the UK when I was growing up, uh, you know, the very few and I even, you know, I remember being on Grange Hill and, um, you know, being on that show for a few um, episodes before one day I saw the set that was my home and I'd been into the sets that were um, other characters homes white characters homes and I saw these lovely you know beautifully decorated you know living room sets or a bedroom set or whatever and then one day I saw the set for my home and I was stunned I was stunned by um, how they said I was living <laughs> you know my character I should say was living and you know being one yeah. of the few black characters on, on TV at the time um, I was really you know kind of surprised by that but but you know in the beginning as I was growing up you know we were either you know really 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 poor and very you know very you know completely criminal and uh, you know prostitutes and all of the things that we know existed in terms of stereotypes back then and then the pendulum swung 
slang and it became this other thing where we were the extremely boring doctor who <laughs> always came out and said Mrs so-and-so um I'm afraid your son is not going to live and then Mrs so-and-so would go on and have her story and you know and would have a journey and a, 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 a pathway to to a story arc and you know that extremely boring doctor would would, would disappear and that was his or her role and so and then yeah. that, so that was the other extreme we became and neither of those are correct neither of those are right the mm. idea that we should be able to weave in and out of various existences various um uh, dimensionalities um I think is 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 extremely important and so I think that your question is really important and really really valid um about how we tell stories and what and the choices that we make in um in terms of telling those stories and I think as the storytellers um we must have the choice to be able to decide what then becomes important for us and it's for community to then decide and audiences to to decide whether that works for them or not Mm. but I think if we exist in an environment where we tell um, black people as artists to behave in a certain way that we're not telling other races Mm. uh, particularly white races as artists to behave I'm 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 not sure I'm I'm not sure how that works and how freedom Mm. and how um um, where is the greater good coming from in, yeah. in all of that but yes yeah. should should work go out there and then have conversations about it I don't have an issue that um, where hands touch raised um, dialogue and raised conversation because ultimately what it meant whether people chose to like it or not and for the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who secretly and quietly write to me and tell me all the reasons why they love it versus mm. the people who were very very loud about what they didn't like what I can tell you is they now know that Afro-Germans existed under Hitler and those Afro-Germans mm-hmm. that existed under Hitler had a persecuted existence but not the same existence as Jewish people and why is that important because it shows us not just another dimension in terms of the overall Holocaust situation but it also shows us um the 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 ho- even more so the horror of the focus that Hitler had on on the Jews because while black people were strange fruit in in America um which is something you know I remember one one person who criticized who wrote a piece on it and said yeah and then she goes and criticizes America too um yeah I think a lot of people are right now mm-hmm. um, um for what they for what they're doing but also also because it was true because Billie Holiday was singing about strange fruit yes. at a time when actually black people in Germany were navigating um a world that had life on one side and death on the other when Jewish mm. people could not they could yeah. not navigate that that pathway did um, you do you think it I mean obviously it's also a contribution to the to the wider Af- Afro-European history which you know in terms of you know this the conversation we have around the the, the dearth of black history that's that's taught um, either in schools or, or is understood within wider society that's obviously a piece of the puzzle um, that maybe a lot of people didn't hear about. Um, I just want to ask you about um, something which I've heard a lot of friends in the film industry complain about and ask me to make sure I got in here, which was okay. that they say that that, that that sometimes they feel that the only films which garner awards for BAME filmmakers mm, in particular mm, tend mm. to be those that deal with race, as if that's the only legitimate space for black and brown expression. Mm. Um is this something you recognize or, you know, the counter argument to that would be some people might say, well, race is a part of our lives uh, as black and brown people in, in every dimension. So how can we make a film where that isn't salient? Um, where, where do you oh stand? My God. I mean, I think both, <laughs> I think both are, both are true and, and both are correct. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I I think sometimes, uh, well, first of all, I think that that's absolutely true. And I live for the day when we can just be absolutely, uh, we can just be absolutely ordinary in the stories that we tell. I think of certain subject matters um, that have been placed um, into into Oscar winning and Oscar nominated films. Um, and I try to imagine placing a, a, a black woman, for instance, into those contexts and imagine, you know, for instance, a movie around a woman who um, 
um, develops a broom or develops a hoover. I can't remember what it was in, in that particular film, but, um, you know, that garnered lots and lots and lots of awards. And I try and imagine, oh, I'd like to tell a story around a woman who, in, in the, a black woman who invents an everyday, you know, item in our household. And I doubt very much that it would, it would gain, um, it would gain um, any kind of awards notice. I can also tell you that, there, you know, there are a number of filmmakers that I could probably raise and I'm not going to, but there are a number of filmmakers who aren't black um, that I could probably attach to the, the, if I attached to the title of director of Bell probably would have got, you know, um, awards looking for that. So mm. it isn't just, yes, it is about the, the stories we tell, but then when, even when we don't, many people came to me, for instance, and, and, and have said, you know, it's just really, I love period pieces and it's really great to see a period piece about, um, um, you know, that sort of reflects um, and doesn't ignore the fact that slavery existed. But at the same time, you know, you don't actually see a slave in um, in Bell. And there was a real reason for that, because um, I wanted to try and mirror the kind of reality that Bell might have had at the time. And I'm, I'm, I'm not particularly, I didn't read anywhere that she came across, she actually met any slaves. Mm. And so, and so the question that you asked me of, you know, is it there every day in our lives? And therefore, should it be reflected in our films? I think we have Does to it be, have to be. I don't I think that if we have these you know if we speak in these binary terms we are acting as if black writers are a monolith mm. and it, this, this isn't a conversation we should be having about what black writers can and cannot do because mm. black writers are not a monolith we exist in a plethora and for some people that sense of race is uh or racial um challenge is there is, is something that they experience viscerally every day not because they it happens differently to them but because they they are they feel it differently um something you may feel sympathy for as a black woman I as another black woman may only may actually feel empathy for something that viscerally affects me as a black woman for another black woman uh, it it may not quite in the same way and the idea that we then you know wear this cap that sort of one size fits all and here's a rule here's a law mm. this is what black writers can do and this is what you know is 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 wrong i fundamentally don't believe that um awards are the reason that any artist creates the work that they do i think that they're motivated and driven by far more deeper mm -hmm. um, issues of course what awards do is they make a big difference often to whether a career can play out and last yeah and can, can earn an artist money and and, and allow course. them to continue getting an audience or not and so i understand the importance of, of it but i think that ultimately it's not us who has to change what we write mm. it's it's the awards system and the awards voting and judging processes that have to change how they view the default and 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 what they view as um being or not being the default and yeah. if you as a writer want to write about race every single day of your life it should be your prerogative and if you as a writer don't want to write a day about race in your life it should be your prerogative and mm -hmm. if you want to you know navigate you know the lines you know in and out of those two spaces you know for most of your career it should be your prerogative but but yes is is it right that um, awards only acknowledge a certain kind of um movie made by a black filmmaker or about a black person no that that that's not right but that's for them to change not the stories we tell um you you yourself are married to uh, a white danish man right you've you also mentioned you've got um, a stepdaughter um does whiteness as a, a topic around race come up in your household at all um, it does. But what I would say about both of them is that uh, particularly my stepdaughter, she has not chosen to be in the industry or be out there and she has a world around her. So that is definitely not I don't bring her into my work life in that way because she didn't choose it and she definitely didn't choose to come on podcasts or be interviewed. But of course, like normal people um, um, and normal families, we have conversations absolutely um, about race and yeah, good Lord, how could how could anyone avoid having conversations, particularly these days or be in a family where you are 
um, you have the different constructs of race that exist involved in them and not and not have those conversations and we do and um, I like to think that both of their perspectives is much bigger and broader um, because because they are part of my life you know and and so on that note, do you find today, uh, given all the conversations that are swelling around race and racism, uh, do you think of whiteness as a useful tool in the anti-racism uh, uh, arsenal, as I like to put it? How do you mean? Tell is me it, more about what you mean. So whiteness obviously is a is a term that came from critical race theory. Some people think mm-hmm, it's a mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. helpful addition to the conversation around racism, primarily, I guess, because it puts the onus on people who are racialized as white to kind of think carefully about the meaning mm. of their racial identity, whereas mm. the onus really hasn't been on mm. uh, the structurally more powerful group. Um, but other people have reservations around the term whiteness, maybe because it centers white experience yet again, uh, or perhaps because it's um, maybe not a clear term for many people. Mm. Um, mm. So I was just wondering after after our, our conversation, perhaps uh, given given your own experiences in, mm. in engaging with the term, what do you mm. think of it? Should we should we keep it? Should we dump it? Is a is it a useful term to I don't know if add? I've got the I don't know if I've honestly, Miriam, if I've got the brain power to um know oh, how I would sort do, of Emma. <laughs> no, I don't know if I've got the brain power to know how I would add, um sort of um uh, be, be be able to um, sp- speak around the subject, if you like, with without mm. referencing it. And and I'm not centering whiteness as I say that, but I'm saying that you know I you know the what I often I often change uh, in, interchange. <coughs> excuse me. I often interchange whiteness and the default, the so-called default experience. I often interchange those terms, and. Mm. Um, Sometimes whiteness is just a simpler way for me to describe, you know, as I did at the beginning of this this podcast, what what it is um, I'm trying to say, because because whiteness became a a construct, if you like, um, that or oh, sorry, it was created, is a construct that I think has created often, you know, political, so- social, cultural, economic behaviours and experiences that over the centuries are real, are very, very real. It, it means that the the, the, the concept of, of blackness is responding to that in the same way. That's also a political, a social, a cultural and an economic, if you like, experience that, that re- responds to the way that that thing whether we want to call it whiteness or not that privilege that world that gr- that that group that ordained itself um, and constructed a world that was a, a particular order so that it could be at the top and it could have privilege um then means that if we don't ever if we don't have a, a a term for it how do we talk around it and how do we challenge it and how do we um, and how do we, um, uh, you know, how do we pull it up? Um, mm. If if I as if I, I mean, first of all, I think you know the one thing I would I would not want to leave this podcast without saying is that thankfully the most white people obviously benefit from whiteness as compared to the various racial groups that have also been constructed it's it's a systemic construct right and obviously not all white people individually choose to look away or to 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 not challenge the constructs that whiteness allows them to benefit from but if I as a black woman am lying in the bed next to you and um you know I in a in a hospital and we're both having babies and I'm five times more likely to die than you are through that process and or my baby is five times more likely to die through that process which I think is still the figures are still the figures Mm. um you 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 yourself may not be expressing whiteness but you are experiencing the benefits of the privilege that whiteness that the system the construct of whiteness brings and so how can we talk about that (laughs) how can I as an individual talk about that or even um you know or even challenge a system um that 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 doesn't um doesn't allow us to give a word to it you know that term was created um and if it helps us to challenge um what the construct means and if it helps us somehow to be able to um 
bring those people who benefit from it, who choose to benefit from it or who benefit from it unwittingly if, yeah, who benefit yeah. from it unwittingly if that's the case. Um, if it allows us to challenge that, then I, I don't see a problem with the term. Um, keep it then. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're keep keeping it in the bag. Um, I think what, so. Yeah. What, what's so. next? What's next from you, Emma? What can we? What can we? When can we next watch your uh, your work on the big screen? I think I'm I'm I continue to 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 do my best in my own eyes mm-hmm. um, to challenge um, um, what whiteness might try and ordain, if you like. Um, I I should be or I am um, and I have lots of um, you know different projects um, from television and TV series I think Smiller's Sense of Snow which is a really wonderful and um, really interesting um, book by Peter who um, is, is um, we're adapting that at the moment into a TV series oh, and uh, that was just announced recently and mm-hmm. uh, I'm doing uh, a movie called Billion Dollar Spy which you know I've talked about a lot yeah. um, uh, which is uh, again another period piece but set in Cold War Russia and again challenging the ideas of what I as a filmmaker in my shape and my flavour as I put it should and shouldn't be allowed to do um, I'm currently um, you know exploring um a, a period piece um sort of in the vein of um uh sort of beyond bell if you like um mm-hmm. that I'm I'm currently exploring to to write at the moment yeah okay. I loved recently shooting um because that's still out at the moment um Mrs America and shooting the Shirley Chisholm story um which uh, was obviously played by Uzo Aduba who just won the 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 Emmy for it Um, and uh you know I've got my my brilliant ad that I'm really proud of at the moment that's out with Lashana Lynch at the center which is the uh which is sort of uh the 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 first thing that you can see is her of her playing uh, the new OO character that she plays in Bond and and Mm. that's a a great ad that I had a lot of fun shooting with her um that's out at the moment it's a Nokia ad so I'm just you know I just continue to try and tell my stories in the best way that I know how and continue to try and um show us as 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 three-dimensional you know characters that have all kinds of experiences and you know we talk about whiteness but there's also varying ideal deals and ideas and ideologies around what blackness is as well and I think you know that's that's also partly what I explore Fantastic. Well, Emma, thank you so much for your time. Um, Thank you to everyone for listening to this episode of We Need to Talk About Whiteness. Um, Please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and join us next time for more conversations on whiteness. Peace and love, everyone. Thank you so much. Thanks, Emma. Woo, I hope that was you.